Well, good morning again, church family. Uh, Happy Easter. What a day uh, to be in God's house, to be able to celebrate the name of Jesus. So thankful, uh, Brother Evan, uh, so thankful for what they do and the hard work they put in and uh, just the way they led us in worship this morning, prepping us for our time in the Word. It was absolutely uh, fantastic. Hey, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it to 1 Peter chapter number 2. Uh, we've been going through the letter of First Peter together as a church, going through a series called Exiles, as we are looking at um, those early Christians in First Peter, how they lived for Jesus in their culture, and how that relates and connects to us today on how we too uh, can live for Jesus even in a culture that doesn't care about him. So First Peter chapter 2, we're going to jump in there. As you're turning there, I wanted to just uh, present you with a question. It's something that I've been thinking about this week as I was preparing for this morning. The question is this, how many of you would agree that there are some things in life that never get old? Anybody out there agree with me? There are some things in life. I'm not talking about there are some things in life um, that never get old. I'll give you a couple of examples that I was thinking about this week. Um, Hugs from your children. Anybody agree with that? Hugs from your children are things that never, ever get old. Or um, how about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Any other fans out there with me? I could eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. They never get old. Bacon. Bacon fans? Absolutely, right? Bacon never gets old. Puppies. Oh, right? Just a little, you know, oh, it's just a puppy, right? Now, I mean, they get old because they get old, but puppies never actually get old. Old. Getting home from a long vacation. Anybody with me? That never gets old. I just cannot wait to be back in my bed again, right? To see my house out in the distance, to be pulling into my driveway after I've been gone for so long, even if it was like 12 hours. I just can't wait uh, to get home from a long vacation. Never gets old. In the morning, never gets old. That favorite song, that favorite movie, whatever it is, there are some things in life that just never get old. Well, can I tell you something, friends? Peter tells us about something else this morning that never, ever gets old. Read it with me. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 21. Here's what Peter wrote. He said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Can I remind you of something, friends, that never gets old? Easter never gets old. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection never gets old. The story of Jesus never gets old. And Peter reminds us exactly why this is one of the things that never gets old. Here's the first one that he reminds us of. Jesus is our perfect standard. You say, Danny, why does the story of Jesus never get old? Because he is our perfect standard. Look back at verse 21. Peter said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Suffered 
for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. Now, I want you to think just for a moment about what Peter's talking about when he writes this phrase, Christ suffered for you. I mean, what must it have been like for Jesus leaving heaven and coming down to earth? Think about it with me. He existed always in eternity. He was with God. He was with the Spirit as they agreed in, the, in eternity past to create the universe. He remembers the creation. He remembers what happened on that day, and he remembers shortly after when the creation chose to sin against God. And because of sin, the creator who was there from the very beginning must now become the Christ who would die for the sins of the world. So what does he do? He leaves his place in glory. He steps down into time, and Jesus was born of flesh just like you and just like me. He left eternity, the glories of it all, for the stench of humanity. And remember, if anybody could, what that humanity was like. He walked with Jesus. He watched him suffer. You say, Danny, what did he see? Well, he watched how Jesus suffered through his childhood as even his own family did not believe in him. He suffered through his ministry as the religious leaders would hate him and they would challenge him. He suffered through his own disciples as one would betray him and another would deny him and all would eventually desert him. He suffered the wrath of God because of our sin as he was beaten and bloodied and broken. He had to die so that we could live. Yet in all that suffering, Peter reminds us, verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. You know what Peter's given us a picture of? He's reminding us that Jesus is our perfect standard. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. When he uses the phrase, found in his mouth, what he's actually doing is he's talking about the way in which the prophet Isaiah would describe his own sinfulness when he stood before God. Here's what Isaiah said in describing himself when he came face to face with his creator. He said this, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what Isaiah said? We are a people of unclean lips. But you know what he said about Jesus? No deceit was found in his mouth. Listen, we may be sinful, but Jesus never was. There was no fault found in him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on trial, Pilate himself, the one who was trying Jesus for the accusations against him, Pilate himself said he could not find any fault with Jesus. Here 18, he said, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He's talking about Jesus. Later in John 19, Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Again, in John 19, a couple verses later, when the chief priests and the officers saw him seeing Jesus, they cried out, crucify him. 
crucify him. But Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. Listen, the criminal, one of them on the cross with Jesus in Luke 24 tells us the same thing. He said, we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, we're being punished rightly. But this man talking about Jesus has done nothing wrong. In fact, in order to crucify Jesus, they had to falsely accuse him because they fought in him. Here's what Matthew records in chapter 26. He writes, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. You know what he's saying? He's saying Jesus was perfect. And if anybody knew this, it was Peter because he had walked with Christ. This is why he continued to write in verse 23, when he was reviled, talking about Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued, don't miss this, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Once again, Peter's quoting from Isaiah. This time it's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is sled to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his for a moment of what Jesus went through before he was placed on the cross. Just after Pilate had Jesus beaten, the trial was over, he found no guilt, but he turned him over to the Jews. He had him beaten, he had him flogged. And just after this moment, here's what we read in Matthew 27. It says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters quarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him, everybody looking at him. And they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his clothes back on him and they led him away to be crucified. One author said this, said nobody suffered as unjustly as Jesus. The only ever lived was misunderstood by listeners, maligned by enemies, forsaken by family, betrayed by friends, abandoned by disciples, tortured by law enforcers, and executed by politicians. Through all of the mistreatment that Jesus went through, he never reviled, he never threatened. The only one in history that every right was his to lodge a complaint remained silent. The only man who could have called on God to judge his enemies quietly endured undeserved judgment. I wonder if in this moment, as Peter's writing these words, he remembers back to what Jesus told him that night in the garden when all those soldiers came up to arrest Jesus and Peter pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. You remember that moment? It's a crazy scene. Jesus picks the guy's ear up and puts it back on him and heals him. But just before he does, here's what Jesus reminds Peter of. He says, do you think that I cannot appear and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, I could call down the greatest army ever at my defense, but he doesn't. Puts the guy's ear back on and heals him. Another author wrote this. He said, as the sovereign, omnipotent son of God and the creator and sustainer of the universe, Jesus could have blasted his cruel, unbelieving enemies into hell with one word of his mouth. Think about that for a moment. 
Jesus could have wiped everyone off the planet, but he chose not to. Instead, he submitted to the will of God. And in that, listen, I love the conversation that he has with Pilate. Jesus and Pilate, before his crucifixion, Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus was silent during the whole thing. Pilate says, I have the power to free you. Speak, talk. Do you not know who I am? But Jesus said back to him, finally, in all of his silence, he speaks. He said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. All of this is happening, yet Jesus doesn't take matters into his own hands. I mean, would it have been easier to get justice? Of course. Would it have been awesome to get back at those who cursed him and beat him? Of course it would have been awesome. But as Paul put it in Philippians, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, as Peter put it, instead of reviling, instead of threatening, instead of getting back, instead of sinning, Jesus continued and trust to him who judges justly. This is why Jesus could pray in the garden of Gethsemane, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, Father. This is why Jesus could pray on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus willingly submitted to God so that his will and his ways could be done. He is our perfect standard. He is the only sacrifice that meets the requirements of God. Peter described this earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You know what Peter's talking about? He's saying, because you're born as a human into this world, your forefathers, your ancestors before you, way back to Adam and Eve, you now have a sin nature that you can't do anything about. If it was up to your ancestors, you'd be doomed forever. What Peter says, he says, you're ransomed from those things inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, you know why the story of Jesus never gets old? It's because he is our perfect standard. This is why these steps that Peter's reminding his readers to walk in are so important. Back in verse 21, when Peter calls Jesus our example that he wants us to follow, he uses a word that's incredible. The word means to trace. It's like tracing a stencil. In other words, the idea is of an artist tracing a drawing or a kid learning how to write by tracing over a letter till they can write it on their own. Friends, that's what Jesus is like for us. He's the example. He's the pattern. He's the stencil that we should trace our lives on. We should follow steps. Well, do you know what his steps led to? It led to entrusting himself to God. Have you? Friend, listen to me. Are you here this morning? And you haven't entrusted your life to the one who judges justly. If that's you, look no further than our perfect standard. His name is Jesus. But listen, the story's not just 
doesn't just get old because Jesus is our perfect standard. Let me show you this. The, the story also doesn't get old because Jesus is our perfect substitute. Not just our perfect standard. He's our perfect substitute. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Well, look back at verse 24. Peter tells us. He says, he himself, he's talking about Jesus, the perfect standard, bore our sins. Not his, he's perfect. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Beautiful, by his wounds, you have been healed. You know what Peter's doing? He's sharing the gospel. He wants his listeners to remember not just who they are, but whose they are. He once again references what Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 53. Now don't miss the words that Peter uses. He says, our sins. Jesus is our perfect standard. He never sinned, yet he took your sins. He took my sins and he himself, I couldn't do it. You can't do it. We're not the perfect standard. He is, he's the only one. So he took them himself and he bore them in his body on the tree. You know what Peter's trying to help us imagine? The trial that Jesus went through, it really wasn't his. You know who that trial was for? That trial was for you and it was for me. Why? Because we're the ones who sinned. Accusers, they should have been accusing us, not him. And guess what? If they were accusing us, they wouldn't have to do it falsely. They could just tell the truth about our sin. Those beatings, they should have been ours. Why? Because we're the ones deserving of punishment. Friends, the cross was never meant for Jesus. It was meant for you. It was meant for me because we're the ones in debt. But that's not how it went down. Jesus took our place. He became our substitute and he died where we should have died so that we can live. I can't get away from these moments in the crucifixion. Luke Chapter 23 gives us the scene. It's, it's just before Jesus dies. But as he's there hanging on the cross, here's what Jesus says. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Friends, even in the horror, even in the agony, even in the hurt, even carrying the weight, shoulders, even in that moment when there had to be a thousand other things on his mind, he's not praying for the pain to go away. He's not praying to be spared. He's not praying for God to send down the legions that God could have sent down. No, no, no. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. Saying, Father, though it's their sin, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Even as he's breathing his last, he's praying for mankind. As a matter of fact, to give us a better picture of this moment, Peter is likely using language from his Jewish upbringing. He's using language from a day known as Yom Kippur or what we would call as the Day of Atonement. Now, this is a day once a year where the high priest would confess the sins of the people over the head of a goat. The goat would then be led out into the wilderness to die to symbolize the goat bearing the sins of the people in his body. By the way, this is why Jesus, outside of the city, was crucified. He was the... <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but it's a funny moment. However... In, in the Day of Atonement, 
This might have covered their sin, but it didn't cancel it. You see, the Hebrew word for atone simply means to cover. Every year, the people would have to do the same thing so that their sin would be covered. So you say, Danny, what do you mean? Every year, the people would be sinful. They would go on the Day of Atonement, and they would sacrifice to cover their sins. The next year, their sins owed a payment again. So what would they do? They would come together on the Day of Atonement, and they would sacrifice an animal, and their sins would be forgiven. They would be covered. And then what would they do next year? Same thing. This would go on and on and on forever. As a matter of fact, I read one guy, he said, think about this like being a co-signer for a loan. Someone you care about applies for a loan, but realizes that they can't get it because they have nothing of worth to the bank in order to stand against the debt. So can they not get it? What do they need? Well, they'd have to bring someone in who could co-sign the loan with them. Someone who, uh, was, was, who, who had enough of worth to stand against the debt or who had enough wealth to pay back the loan if the person couldn't pay it back. Listen, the bank will only loan the money because of the person who stands in the gap. They know the cosigner is good for the debt. This is essentially how the Day of Atonement worked. The only reason why God would allow for an animal sacrifice to take place year after year after year to cover the sin debt of the people was because he knew Jesus stood in the gap and he guaranteed that the debt would one day be paid. You see, Jesus is our ultimate cosigner. Listen, the blood of animals could cover sins for a time, but it could never cancel them. It could never pay. Friends, at some point, the bank's going to come looking for their money. Well, just like a bank, God has a debt that must be paid. And of course, it's much bigger than any loan that you and I can take out today. Calvary was the day in which God said the debt must be paid in full. The accumulation of the sins of the world had to be paid for, and Jesus made that payment on the cross. This is why Peter reminds us of the words prophesied in Isaiah 53, by his wounds you have been healed. You see, friends, Jesus is certainly our perfect standard, but oh, it's better than that. Jesus is our perfect substitute. I can't imagine that kind of weight. I can't imagine those kinds of wounds, those kinds of hurts, but I know this. I deserved it, but Jesus took my place. Now listen, maybe you're here this morning and you think, Danny, why do we deserve it? I'm a, I make good decisions. I drive the speed limit. I fill in the blank. I put the shopping cart back up before I leave Walmart parking lot, Danny. I'm a good person. Why do I deserve what you're talking about? Well, friends, it's simple. We're not good people. All of us are sinners separated from God. Here's how the Bible puts it in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, since Adam and Eve way back in Genesis chose to obey God, chose to sin, we're all born with a sin nature that needs a savior. And friends, can I tell you something? Without a savior, without a substitute, we have to pay the debt that we owe. The debt doesn't go away. God is just and holy and righteous and our sin demands payment. Paul explains exactly what that debt looks like that we owe in Romans 6, 23, when he writes, for the wages, the debt, the owe of sin is. Can I tell you something? There's only three ways to cancel the sin debt that we owe to God. Can I tell them to you? Here's the first one. We can live a perfect life according to the standards of God. Anybody up for that? 
Of course not. We can't do that. Here's the second one then. Okay, Dan, you can't do number one. What's, what's the second one? Here's the second one. We can pay the debt we owe through death. Say, Danny, what do you mean? We can choose on this side of eternity not to trust in Jesus, but to do it on our own. And guess what? We will pay the debt when we spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Let me tell you something. There's so much better news than that. I know you're saying, Danny, all that's bad. I agree. The bad news just sets up the good news. You say, Danny, what is it? Well, it's number three. We have another option. We can trust in the perfect standard that became our perfect substitute that died in our place. We can trust in Jesus. Friends, 623 doesn't end for the wages of sin is death, period. No, no, no. It goes on, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Daniel, you got me. I'm with you. I am a sinner. I deserve what's happening. How can I receive this free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus? Well, friends, thanks for asking the question. It's so simple. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So listen, if that's you, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God who lived a perfect life so that he could be your perfect substitute? Now listen, just answer that to yourself. All right, good, you got your answer? All right, let me ask you, do you believe that God raised him from the dead so that he could offer you life victorious over sin and over death. Now answer that to yourself. All right, once you've answered it, well then here's what I would say. If you said yes to both of those questions, then all you have to do is confess him as your savior and your Lord. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, Danny, does that mean me? Absolutely, that means you. Can I tell you something even better though? Listen, we get more than just our sins canceled. I know that's awesome, right? I mean, our sins are canceled. We don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven when we die. Absolutely, that's great. Hallelujah. But can I tell you something that's even better? More than just our sins canceled, we also get his righteousness. This is why Peter wrote that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We call this in the church world the glorious our sins become Christ's so that his righteousness can become ours. Let me give you a picture of it from other scriptures. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter three. We can be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. No, we already established that. That's not good enough. We're not the perfect standard. Instead, that which comes through faith in Christ, he is the perfect standard, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Friends, can I just tell you something? Jesus can't be your perfect substitute if you haven't entrusted your life to the one who judges justly. Look no further than our perfect substitute. His name is Jesus. Will you today confess him and your Lord? Now listen to me. The story doesn't get old because Jesus is our perfect standard. The story doesn't get old because Jesus is our perfect substitute. But oh, there's so much more. Listen to this. The story doesn't get old because Jesus is our perfect shepherd.
Look at what Peter says, last verse here, verse 25. Look back at it. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Man, what a beautiful ending to this passage. We were lost, but Jesus has found us. Peter, once again, quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, when Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's how Jesus described his own people in Matthew chapter 9. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder about Jesus' teachings in John chapter 10 when Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I wonder if he's thinking about when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, listen, Jesus certainly died for our sins. He is our perfect standard. He is our perfect substitute. But listen to me, he is no longer dead. I love what the angels told the women who went to the tomb of Jesus on that third day after his death. This is from Luke 24. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Listen, he rose from the grave. He conquered death and sin. This is what we celebrate today. We celebrate his death because we celebrate his resurrection. Friends, death could not hold him. Sin could not hold him. He was victorious over sin and over day is only good because Sunday is coming. Well, listen to me. Sunday is here. And this resurrection life, this canceling of our sin debt, this new life that he offers to you and me, we can have now as we follow the good shepherd and overseer of our souls. He leads us to live as God desires. Hey, listen, I I just, I don't want you to miss this this morning. You might be here and you say, Danny, those are beautiful words from Peter in first Peter. I agree. You say, Danny, I've heard this story a thousand times. I'm with you, but can I tell you something? It's a story that never gets old. You say, Danny, why? Simple. It's because Jesus, that perfect standard that never did any wrong, he decided because he was the only one that he would die in our place as our perfect substitute to pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay. You say, Danny, I thought we could, but I can guarantee you this, you don't wanna pay it the way it's gotta be paid. So if you're here this morning, you say, Danny, okay, our perfect standard, our perfect substitute, what what do I do? Let me tell you something, friends. You make him the perfect shepherd of your life. You say, I'm tired of doing it my own way. I'm tired of having control. I'm trying to figure trying to figure things out on my own. I'm tired of that. I'm done with that. I can't do it. I need something better. Friends, we have something better. He's our better king. He's our perfect shepherd, and his name is Jesus. So let me just ask you something. If you're here this morning, you say, Danny, that debt, I still owe it. What do I do? Well, in just a moment, I'm gonna go out there to that lobby and I'm gonna be out there with my Bible and I'll just be waiting for anybody who would say, Danny, I need to give my life to Jesus. I wanna trust in his payment as my payment. And if you want to, I'd love to take my Bible, tell you how you can give your life to Christ and start following him today. You come find me. I'd love to tell you how you can follow Jesus. But can I tell you something else? I know a lot of people in here have already done that. Heard this story a thousand times. I gave my life to Jesus when I was one and a half. Brilliant. I said Jesus before I could even say mama. I don't believe that, but okay. Here's what I'd say. If that's you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. Can I just tell you something? Let me ask you this, friends. Is he still your good shepherd? Have you decided to follow somebody else? Have you decided to go your own way? 
Have you been making some decisions that don't reflect him because really you're following yourself instead of the shepherd who gave everything for you? Hey, listen, if you're lost, I want to introduce you to Jesus. But if you're saved in this room this morning, let me ask you this. How are you following the shepherd who is the overseer of your soul? Hey, if you've gotten a little lazy with that, you know what? What better day than Resurrection Sunday to say, Jesus, I remember. I remember the story that doesn't get old. I remember what you've done for me, and I want to honor you with my life. You committed that a long time ago. Don't forget. You belong to him. So honor him. Hey, listen, if you need to come find me, I'm in the lobby. I'd love to pray with you. If you need to meet Jesus, I'd love to tell you about him. If you need to make use of this altar this morning and pray, if you need to pray right where you are, I don't know what your response looks like, but I know this. Jesus demands a response from us when his word is proclaimed. Friends, let's respond the way that Jesus desires for us to respond. Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you. You're awesome. Jesus, thank you so much.